Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. If you wanted to have a surf swim holiday, <laughs> any of the coastal sort of cities have offered both of those. So Melbourne, where I am, offers surfing and master swimming, and so does Sydney. And obviously, Sydney has all the additions of the ocean pools. So if you've ever seen a photo of Bondi icebergs, which is a beautiful, very famous pool right on Bondi Beach. And along Sydney, there's a lot of those kind of ocean pools, but lots and lots of options if you were a visitor to Australia. And we love having Americans here. Welcome to the award-winning Champions Mojo, hosted by two world record-holding athletes and health, life, and leadership coaches. Be inspired as you listen to Conversations with Champions. And now, your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And as usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hey, Maria. Hi, Kelly. It's great to be here with you today. Our special guest today is coming to us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. We cannot wait to get some mojo from down under and this Australian champion. Danielle Sperling has had a lifelong involvement in swimming, first as an Australian age group and open national medalist in her youth, and most recently as a FINA World Masters top 10 ranked pool swimmer and an open water enthusiast. She's also had a long career teaching and coaching swimming as a physical education teacher. Maria, what else can you tell us about Danielle? Well, Danielle is the founder and host of Torpedo Swim Talk, a popular master swimming podcast, which was born during the long winter of COVID lockdown in 2020. We're excited to talk with her today about her own return to swimming after many years of not swimming and her passion for all things master swimming. We're also going to get the scoop on the Australian swimming culture and much more. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, ladies. It's lovely being here today. Great to see you and be with you. Yes. Oh, do you love that accent, Maria? (laughs) It's like, so the setup for this, for our listeners. So Maria and I are deeming you, Danielle, our sister podcast, because our podcast was founded in Melbourne, Florida, <laughs> and oh, you wow. are in Melbourne, Australia. And everything else is very similar, right? Yeah. And it's all, well, I mean, it's just crazy that we both have these swimming podcasts and that we're in the cities of Melbourne, but really one of the impetus to sit down with you was Maria and I were saying, you know, I've been a swimmer all my life and have never sat down with an Australian swimmer and talked about swimming in Australia. So this is so exciting for me, for Maria, for our listeners. So we want to start out by saying, can you describe for us, because I don't know these questions, but how the life of a typical competitive swimmer starts out in Australia and the few different pathways that they might take from, you know, learn to swim all the way up to being an Olympian or a master swimmer. And and then give us your path to this. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think um, swimming in Australia is very much part of our culture. We're a very sports-minded nation. We love sport. And being an island surrounded by water, it's really important to all families to get their kids to learn to swim. So everyone starts off with learn to swim. It's 
part of the school curriculum. And obviously, most of Australians live around the coast of Australia, so always near the water. And yeah, most kids start off at school, learn to swim, and then into club swimming. A little bit different to what I imagine or have spoken to about people in swimming in America. Ours is very club-based. We don't have a college system per se. So, Even our Olympians would be in club sort of situations, although some of them are based at universities now. We don't have a college competition like you do with the NCAAs, for instance. So we have our club swimming, we have inter-club, state championships, nationals, and those kind of things. And I think if, you know, people show some promise when they're in their sort of junior years, then that, that sort of snowballs on from there. And that very much happened for me. I did learn to swim. My parents got my brother and I to both do that. And I was actually pretty hopeless at every other sport. So (laughs) swimming was something that I had a a small glimmer of some kind of athletic (laughs) ability in. (laughs) And I actually just loved it. I loved swimming from a very early age. And we moved away to the country with my dad's work. And my parents wanted us to sort of join some local sporting clubs and went down to the local pool. And my dad sort of asked them if they had a a squad I could join. It was very sort of junior squad at that time. And they said, oh, yeah, we do, but it's in the mornings. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to do that. I want to be like Dawn Fraser. She was the only sort of person I knew at the time. She's an Australian icon, won triple gold medals at the Olympics in the 100 free over three consecutive Olympics. And I thought, I want to be like her. That's what I want to do. So I started doing it. I sort of talked them into it. And it was always driven by me, not by them, but they were very, very supportive. And that's how my swimming journey started. And I just gradually worked my way up the sort of the rankings as a junior swimmer. Do people swim year round or is it just in certain seasons? Yes. So it's become a lot more of a year round sport now. When I was a junior, a lot of the outdoor pools were not heated, but most of them are these days. So yes, I swim outdoors all year round and we're very lucky. Most suburbs and most towns have a pool certainly around the coastal areas of Australia. And then also there's the ocean. So even during COVID lockdown in the last two years, we were swimming in winter. Melbourne in Australia is sort of situated around a bay called Port Phillip Bay. And a lot of ocean swimmers do lots of workouts there. So that's also another thing that we love doing as well. And you're swimming outdoors in the winter? Yes, yes. So I I trained yesterday morning, it was three degrees which I'm not quite sure what that conversion is to Fahrenheit, but it's cold. Yeah, that's just above freezing. (laughs) The water was uh, 28 degrees. So beautiful. Steam coming off, lovely way to start the day and see the sunrise. And even though I grew up swimming indoors, I can't do that anymore. I love being being outdoors and having that fresh fresh breeze around. So one thing you said in there that I wanted to see if we can clarify a little bit, did you say that your country learns to swim in school? It is part of the school curriculum. It's, I think at this point, the legal requirement is that it's two weeks per year. So it's not a lot. It's an introduction, but a lot of schools do extra on top of that. And a lot of private schools have their own pools. So that that sort of learn to swim is very much in the school curriculum in a lot of schools particularly in Queensland, for instance, where they can swim outdoor all year without it even being heated because it's so warm. A lot of the state schools have pools so that 
that culture is is sort of inbred into those junior swimmers, primary swimmers, and our surf life saving culture is very, very strong as well. So a lot of kids start off doing what we call nippers, which is junior sort of lifesavers. They learn the surf skills and a lot of them sort of, I suppose, in my youth, did the surf life saving in summer and then did the pool swimming in winter. And now, obviously, you can do them sort of all year round as it's become bigger. But a lot of children started off in, the, in that area. That is incredible that it's part of the school system. So does everyone know how to swim in Australia? I don't have the statistics, but I think on the whole, most people know how to swim. We're a very um, multicultural sort of society in Australia. So a lot of our newly arrived Australians are learning to swim or we're trying to get them to learn to swim. And there's a lot of programs around to, to help them with that because we still have a lot of drownings over summer and they're mainly from tourists and from newly arrived Australians who perhaps don't understand. Obviously, when you go to the beach and it looks calm, there's often there can often be a really strong rip underneath. So there's a lot of campaigns to try and help people understand the surf particularly and to help them be safe in the surf. And we have voluntary trolls every summer starting very early and there's a lot of campaigns to get those people to to swim what we we call swim between the flags i don't know whether you have that in the us but we have our yellow and red flags on the beach and the surf lifesavers on patrol set those up and everyone is encouraged to swim within those areas so that you can have someone looking over you all the time so since you don't have the sort of a, the scholarship system that we have. How does a talented Australian swimmer get compensated, or do they do you just have to work and also train? Is there a system for at once you identify a swimmer as talented and, and maybe potentially Olympic potential that there's a way that they can train with you know and be compensated? Yeah, good question. I think back, I think it was the 76 Olympics, Australia didn't um, I think it was 76, we didn't get a medal, which from the Olympic Games with our swimming team, which swimming's always been our, our sort of top sport at the Olympics. And because of that, they brought about a place called the Australian Institute of Sport, which is in our capital city in Canberra. And that was sort of going to be designed as a little bit of an American university type thing. It was the one and only one. And a lot of our top swimmers went there during sort of the 80s and they attracted big coaches like Gennady Turetsky, who coached um, Popov. And he brought a lot of those kind of sort of routines and his knowledge to Australia and, and helped build a little bit of that kind of thing back in so that we started or the Australian Olympic team started to be on the rise. But that was the only place in Australia that you could do that. So if you didn't make that, you were still with your club coach. And there was a lot of club coaches around and a lot of programs. And I think Don Tolbert, who was one of our recent head coaches back in the 2000s, when he came back, he really helped, I think, the coaches across Australia with high-performance hubs. So now we have sort of high-performance hubs in every sort of capital city and all the swimmers who are on the Australian Dolphins team or hoping to be on that or qualifying for high-performance programs, swim at those hubs. So Queensland, for instance, have quite a few hubs. They've got the Michael Bowl hub where they've got sort of 11 Olympians up on the Gold Coast at Griffith University, and they do train at the university pool, but they're not 
It's not like a college scholarship program. And then you've got sort of Ariane Titmus's hub in Brisbane. So they're at St. Peter's Western, which is a school there. We've got another big hub in Melbourne. There's one in Sydney. There's one in Adelaide. There's one in Perth. So that's sort of the way they do it. And they don't live on university campus. They have their own apartments and whatnot, but it's a very professional program. Who, who pays for it? Good question. <laughs> I think they get some grants from Swimming Australia. There's certainly some of our swimmers are very well known and have sponsorships outside of that. But yeah, I think it's a struggle for a lot of the ones that actually aren't the gold medalists and are on that path to try and get there. So it's certainly, they do get grants, but I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure exactly how much they get. So is the lore true that the top Australian swimmers are like rock stars and that they're compensated and that they're, you know, that that's like, you know, in Europe, it's the soccer players or the, you know, footballers. And in the US, it's kind of our basketball, baseball, football. But we've heard in, in Australia that the swimmers are the most popular pro athlete. Is that is that true or no? <laughs> From my perspective, yes. <laughs> I don't think across the board that's the case. Certainly during the Olympics and the World Championships that we just had and the Commonwealth Games, they're very, very well known and everyone will be watching. That's our, our top Olympic sport. It's the one we win the most medals in. People are very invested in the swimmers. I think around the 2000 Olympics, it was very much primetime TV. The, the trials were primetime TV. There was a lot of ads on television with the swimmers. Sort of, we that was sort of the Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackard, Susie O'Neill era, and there was a lot of sponsorship around then. After the 2000 Olympics, I think it's petered off a little bit. It's probably going to come back a little bit because we've got the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. Certainly, the Ian Thorpes, the Kate Campbells, those kind of people—they're making a lot of money in sponsorship. Emma McKeon, those kind of people. But I think the next sort of tier down get their grants from Swimming Australia and they wouldn't get as much. Changing gears just a little bit, let's talk about master swimming because that's, you know, what your wheelhouse is and what Maria and I are master swimmers. And you have been a master's coach. Is that correct? Not a master's coach, a, a school swimming coach. A school swimming coach. Okay. Yes, a school swimming coach. So you've interviewed many masters champions and masters around the world, but as far as the Australian masters culture, what is that like? It's very vibrant, obviously not quite as big as America. I think you've got something like 65,000 people registered with master swimming. We've probably got about eight, 8,000 registered. There's a lot more swimmers out there that are not registered, but are really keen lap swimmers or open water swimmers. Open water is also a big part of master swimming in Australia, particularly where I live in Victoria. We have a, a strong sort of summer season of open water swims and a lot of master's pool swimmers do that over the summer. I didn't even know master swimming existed. I was sort of out of the water for 25 years and I knew it was there in the back of my mind. I always thought, oh, one day I'd like to maybe do that, but I don't have time. I had a family and two kids and a, a career and I, I was so busy. A few things sort of came about where I thought, okay, it's now, I'm going to give it a go. And I just looked up a local master swimming club and, and went down and did a session and loved it. Just loved it. I sort of discovered that joy I had from when I was a junior and I suppose I lost that towards the end of my swimming when I was competing as a teenager and 
sort of stayed away from the water for so long. And, and now I think, why did I do that? <laughs> because I just love, I love the training and I love, I love being with a group of like-minded people and sort of sharing those grabbed conversations in between, you know, your swimming repeats, whether you're doing, you know, 2100s and you've got five seconds and five seconds rest and you, you might have a bit of a conversation that lasts over the, the full 2100s. I, I just enjoy that. And I enjoy pushing myself challenging myself but also having fun along the way so that's what I love about master swimming and that's certainly I think what master swimming Australia likes to put out there they offer you know competition and racing challenges but I think across the board it's all about fun and fitness and friendship and I think master swimming is particularly it's a great example of that so that's why I love it so much. And, and that's why I like talking to other master swimmers so that I can hear about their stories and maybe learn something from them that I can put into my own training. Yeah, that would be our next question probably is what have you learned? And I'd also wonder what sort of surprising or funny thing have you learned in interviewing master swimming? I think I'm coming up to my 80th episode now. And I think the one thing that has been the overriding theme throughout the whole, every single person I've talked to is consistency. So they all have very different ways of approaching their, their training. Some of them like to swim every day and do no strength work or dry land or anything like that. And others have a bit of a mixture. They might do three or four sessions and, and do a lot of strength work. And I think the thing that they all have in common is that whatever routine works for them they are super consistent and they have a routine. And I think that routine carries them through to whatever goals they personally have. So that would be my biggest takeaway. One thing that a lot of them have said is cross-training. So <laughs> I try to put that into my own training as well, but it doesn't always work. But cross-training seems to be a really big driving force in a lot of master swimmers I've spoken to and kick sessions. A lot of people that are very successful at master swimming are very good at kick. That's what I've found. <laughs> so when you say cross-training, are we talking about running or cycling or are we talking about weight training? What do you mean? All of the above. So Cindy Marby, um, one of the Canadian swimmers I spoke to, actually does cross-fit as in the true sense of the word. And then others do surf lifesaving. It's like ski kayaking and, and running. And a lot of people do bot bikes. Strength training has been a really big answer to a lot of the master swimmers that I've spoken to. So whether that looks like sort of Pilates reformer or whether it's weight lifting, or you, I know you call it lifting in America, or we call it weight lifting here, either of those two and all of those can be combined. And a lot of people are very keen on yoga and whether that's more sort of just the stretching side of things or more of a cardio yoga. So all of those answers and all of that information from all the different athletes, hopefully people can pick out what works for them and take that away to their own master swimming. Very good. So we would love to know, you're just a great example for anyone listening that has taken a bunch of years off. So can you share with us like, what was it like to come back after 25 years out of the pool? How did you build it up? And what is your training schedule now? Because I know you're you're very serious now. You're you're going for it, right? So <laughs> tell us about that. I think when I first came back, I started too much too soon and hurt my shoulder straight away. <laughs> so 
I think having that amount of time out of the water and probably sitting forward and using the computer sort of changed my shoulder dynamics. So I had a bit of bursitis in the shoulder. So yes, I had to manage that and get through, but nothing put me off. I continued going. I didn't have any injuries when I was a junior swimmer or a teenager at all. So that was a bit of a shock. But once I sort of manage that with a lot of, I do a lot of stretching, I do a lot of rehab or prehab, I suppose you'd call it, before I get in the water. So with a TheraBand and I've got my own little routine that I try and do. And I've, I find that if still, if I don't do that now, my shoulder's quite tight. So I always try and make time to do that. When I first was back at Master Swimming, I was still working full-time. I've actually just retired at the end of last year from PE teaching, which is very nice. And now I've got a little bit more time to do my Master Swimming. So I'm probably swimming four to five times a week, training in the water. And then I try to supplement that with two to three. Well, I, I aim for three strength sessions, but that doesn't always come about. So two to three. And then I'll do my walking, a little bit of bike riding if I can, a little bit of stretching each day. That's probably about as much as I can squeeze into a week, even though I'd like to perhaps do some more. But I'm mindful of keeping my body at a point where it's there's no overuse injuries because I, I know that when I ramp up the training in the water that I do feel it in that, in that same shoulder. Is there a certain distance that you shoot for on each of those workouts or a certain time or how, how much are you doing on those sessions? So probably around about an hour and a half and around about three and a half to 4K, depending on what we're doing. Three and a half is probably the average that I would do. And I swim with a, I have a, a small group of swimmers that we we swim sort of in the early hours of the morning, which I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. And my club, I have a club at Harold Holt Pool, which is named after our, our past Prime Minister of Australia, actually, who drowned, <laughs> which is, we always, I shouldn't laugh at that. We always, it's a little bit of a, a joke that a, a pool is named after. It is odd. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. But it, it's a beautiful pool in Melbourne and I swim there with my club once a week. But the rest of my training, I'm lucky to have a few other pools around me. And so I do that with a smaller group of people and we sort of gear our training to whatever race competition we've got coming up. So if we've got something coming up in the next few weeks, we'll be doing a lot more quality sprinting type work. And when we don't, we'll we'll head back a little bit more into some anaerobic threshold, longer distance sort of interval or short interval rest type work, if that makes sense. Do you have a coach? Our club's a little bit of an unusual master's club in the fact that it's a voluntary organisation. So they have a voluntary coaching roster and each coach that has elected to coach in the club doesn't get paid for it. And they would have, they might have one session a month that they're rostered on for. We have a, a coaching director who sets the program, but each session is actually a different coach. So it's a different way of doing things. That's with the club I'm with. During the week, I've just started working with a coach once a week and doing a little bit of technique stuff. So I'll go down and do that sort of once a week and then do my other stuff with my other little small group. There's sort of four or five of us that work together. So why early in the morning? Well, being outside as a PE teacher for 25 years, and I know you've got a lot of sun in Florida as well. I've had a few little skin cancers on my face in the past year. So I've had three and I just thought, 
now's really the time to move out of the sun and away from my work in the sun and also swimming in the sun. So I'm I'm trying to stay in the darkness as much as possible. You swim in the dark or at sunrise? At sunrise, yes. Yeah, I do the same thing. Do you? Yeah, yeah. In Florida, I've had I had a big skin cancer removed on my face and it left a pretty bad scar that I don't like. And yeah, so I we swim 5:30. Yes. And it's dark. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the same. I've got a quite a big scar here too. That's in the exact same place. (laughs) Yeah. That's so hilarious. That we're we're on video, even though people are listening on audio, but Danielle (laughs) and I are pointing at the exact same place on our face. So we have sister (laughs) scars too. That's crazy. Sister cities and sister scars. Yes. Funny story about mine, actually, it was a little bump that was there and I thought, oh, I better go and get that checked. And they did a biopsy and it was negative. And I thought, oh, that's fine. And just hop back in the water and three years went by and it was just sort of scabbing all the time. It would would open up and re-scab and, and then during COVID, I was swimming down at the beach and a friend of mine who's a doctor said to me, well, that really doesn't look you know good at all. You need to go and get that checked. Went and got it checked and yes, it was, I don't know what yours was, but mine was a BCC, which is the best type to have, they say. So it's contained. So that was good. So they took that out. But yes, I had 26 stitches coming from my nose right down to my lip. So it was, it was a bit traumatic, very traumatic. everyone. My name's Danielle Sperling and I'm the host of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm a listener and a fan of Champions Mojo podcast. And if you're looking for another top-ranked swimming podcast to listen to to get your weekly fix, I invite you to check out my show, Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. You can find us through our website at torpedoswimtalk.com or on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts at. Hoping to see you all soon. Happy swimming and bye for now. What are some routines or rituals that you have or that the master swimmers that have been successful have that help to make them successful? And I'm thinking particularly as we age. You mean the people I've spoken to? And you. I think being aware of your body is what I would say is the main thing that I've learned. And not pushing through injuries, but when you're tired, really recognize that and and take that day of recovery. I think, you know, I still have the mindset of a 16 or 17 year old where I was training twice a day and 12 times a week. And it's all right now to to do four or five sessions and, you know, then take some time to recover and get over that because it's not as easy as it was when I was younger. And I've got to listen to my body. And I think, A lot of the people that I've spoken to have that sort of same sentiment where recovery is now one of the the parts of training that I I wouldn't have ever remembered or recognised when I was a junior. And and I think hydration is another thing as well. We never had a water bottle at the side of the pool when I was swimming as a teenager. And we went through two, two hour sessions indoors. You weren't allowed to get out of the pool to go and have a drink of water. It was seen, it was very frowned upon. And I look at it now and think, wow, I wonder if things could have been a little bit different, whether, you know, if I had that hydration back then, I think it's really, really important. So that that would be my two little pieces of advice. I like that. Those are great, great routines. So Danielle, in 
you've had this, you know, an amazing life. You, you've been a high level swimmer in your youth. You've come back from a big, long amount of time off. You've had a successful career where you've retired. You're now an entrepreneur, launched a very successful podcast. So you have to have this. And, you know, now we know, I guess we could even talk about your obstacles, like a big obstacle, but having 26 stitches in your face and cancer removed from your face sounds like a big obstacle. But what mindset do you have when you are approaching these successes or these challenges that come up in your life? I think I like to try and break it down into small sort of manageable blocks. And for instance, I'm going to race up on the Gold Coast later in the year. So November, that's my my big competition that I'm sort of aiming for this year. So I sort of count back from that time. It's going to be in November count back from then to now and break that up into what I want to do leading up into that. And there are going to be obstacles, small obstacles that come in the way. There'll be, you know, times when I can't train or, or you know, I might get a cold or whatever it is. But just to, to be consistent and to continue heading towards that goal as, as much as I possibly can. And I find that if I don't have a goal like that, then I flounder. I just, yes, I'd probably still go swimming, but I I may not put as much effort in if I don't have something that I'm on the horizon. And I think that was really a hard part of COVID. I don't know what it was like for you guys in Florida, but we were in, in Melbourne, Australia, we were one of the most locked down cities in the world. We had two, three month lockdowns where we weren't allowed to go five kilometers from our house. So we were only allowed out for an hour a day you know, exercise, but not swimming because pools were all shut and then essential medical supermarket shopping, that kind of thing. So I think during that time, it was just a matter of actually <laughs> doing whatever you could to to stay positive and to just use your, you know, work on your mental health. But I suppose one of the things that came for me, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit off the track, but one of the things that came for me from COVID was my actual, my joy in swimming, just having that taken away after I found it again was, you know, particularly hard. And I think now I have a new appreciation of, yes, I want to, I want to race and I, I love that feeling of exerting myself at swimming, but I, I actually just love being in the water and, and swimming for the feeling I get and, and the mental health benefits that I get as well. So that would probably be yeah, that'd probably be my biggest takeaway from from that question. Okay. And switching back a little bit to you having this beautiful outdoor pool that you're swimming in in Melbourne, Australia. We in our US Masters program have something called the drop-ins. We're on the Space Coast, Melbourne, Florida is where we send up our rockets from. They're, it's actually Titusville, which is but basically, huh, Maria is down here a lot. And anytime, like maybe almost once a week now, maybe twice a week, sometimes you see a rocket going up. And so we, so we have a lot of visitors in our area and they drop in and they swim with us. So I asked my husband going into this, I said, we're going to get to talk to you an Australian swimmer. And he's like, I said, what do you, what would you want to ask her? And he said, well, if master swimmers from the U S wanted to go visit Australia are we welcome? And where would you recommend for us to go to join, you know, to swim with the master's group, to drop in, maybe surf to, you know, like have a good experience. 
Oh, yeah, good question. Yes, is the answer to all of those uh, <laughs> parts of that question. All Masters Clubs in Australia have a drop-in system. My particular club has a month drop-in, so you can swim with us for a month before you would have to join. But I think American swimmers have, if you're registered with USMS, have a reciprocal type thing. And I know I've looked into doing the same thing. When I came to LA, I was going to swim with a LA-based Masters Club for a few days. But yes, you can swim with any Masters Club in Australia and drop in and do their sessions. And for those people listening who that might be interesting for, they would just need to look up Master Swimming Australia website and it has all the clubs listed there. And I think when you click on the different clubs, it would go to someone who you can contact to find out what the sessions and where they are at the local pool. If you wanted to have a surf swim holiday, <laughs> any of the coastal sort of cities have offered both of those. So Melbourne, where I am, offers surfing and master swimming, and so does Sydney. And obviously Sydney has all the additions of the ocean pools. So if you've ever seen a photo of Bondi Icebergs, which is a beautiful, very famous pool right on Bondi Beach. And along Sydney, there's a lot of those kind of ocean pools, but lots and lots of options if you were a visitor to Australia. And we love having Americans here. Oh, how nice. Awesome. How welcoming. Talk to us about sharks and sunburns. <laughs> well, sunburn is a really big issue and I'm very passionate about not getting sunburned. So I would say if you're going to swim outside in Australia, I recommend full protection zinc on your face. And that's what I use now. Sharks, well, that's another thing. <laughs> yes, there, there are sharks. And I use what's called, what's called a shark band on my ankle. It's like a magnetic ankle sort of bracelet that you put on. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually repel great white sharks, which are the worst ones, but it, it's supposed to repel tiger sharks and whale sharks, I think. I've never had that tested and I hope I never do. But I usually spend summer down on the coast of or the surf coast in Victoria, which is called the Great Ocean Road, which is a beautiful road that is built right along the, the coast. There's every summer when I go down there, there's shark sightings. And I just hope that it is a shark that never comes to where I'm swimming. <laughs> Are there shark attacks, though? I mean, you will, of course, hear about them, but we, see, we have sightings here, too. But people swim, you know, the sharks don't bother them generally. So yeah. we do read about Australian shark attacks. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's more common there than it is here. Definitely in, over in Western Australia, there's a lot of great white sharks and there has been some shark attacks in the last few years over there and up around the uh, Whitsunday Islands, there was maybe two. And there, I think there was another one actually around the Byron Bay area up on New South Wales coast. So yes, there are shark attacks. They're not common and hopefully we won't have any this summer. But <laughs> they certainly, you know, are around. But there's obviously there's if you're swimming at a patrolled beach, that's actually the safest place to be because there's lifeguards and they're they're watching for those kind of things. During summer, there's shark watch helicopters going over all the time, trying to make sure that you know it's it's safe and clear. And then each patrolled beach would have a shark alarm that would go off if there was something in the water. But I think. A lot of the places where the shark attacks have happened have been at unpatrolled beaches. So, and also at sort of sunrise or, or dusk where they, they like to come out more. Sure. <laughs> and we, we can't worry about, yeah, we can't I don't worry about sharks when we're in yeah. the ocean. <laughs> no. Yeah. no, it's best not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually during COVID when we were swimming um, down in Port Phillip Bay, we had a a pod of dolphins actually come and swim around us in in between us, which was amazing. I was always worried that the shark might be following the dolphins, but luckily we didn't see anything. (laughs) That must have been incredible. What an incredible experience. It was great. I think because a lot of boating and jet ski sort of enthusiasts stopped during COVID, there was a lot more sort of marine wildlife in the bay and there was a lot of jellyfish too, And they, but a lot of dolphins were around and a lot of people saw them during that time. So, yeah, it's a, nice. another reason to come to Melbourne, Australia to yeah, swim nice. with the dolphins. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. And I've also heard that dolphins will sometimes protect you from sharks, you know, that if they see a swimmer, Uh that they'll bump them away from you. We have a fun sprinter round that we just ask you some fun questions. Are you ready to play? Yes, ready. Cat or dog? Dog. Bed maker or not a bed maker? Definitely a bed maker. All right. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? I love milk chocolate, but I know I should eat dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a common answer. That, that is. That is. I wish kickboard I could eat or no kickboard? Oh, I like both, but uh, probably no kickboard because I like backstroke kick. Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? And it's you can use, choose either football, soccer, or American football. Do they have baseball? Oh, okay. We we don't have baseball. We have Australian rules football. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. AFL. But on your football, I'd probably say soccer. Okay. Okay, cool. iPhone or Android? Oh, iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Fingernail polish or no fingernail polish? Oh, no fingernail polish on my fingers, but on my toes, polish. Okay. okay. I like it. <laughs> okay. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite pizza topping? Ooh, mushrooms. Mm, favorite vegetable? Carrots. What's most important to you for a pool to be fast? Oh, I think the water temperature. What kind of music do you like? I'm very varied, but I love Sting, Taylor Swift, <laughs> U2. So popular music popular music yeah but i love jazz as well okay i would love to come to new orleans and go to uh some of those jazz oh cool jazz clubs yes never been there but on the list what's your shoe size oh okay it's a women's nine which is i'm not sure what that is in u.s sizes but it's about 40 european i think women's nine is probably yeah oh that's that is a 40 yeah that's a 40 european women's nine okay What's your favorite Star Wars character? Ooh, Han Solo. <laughs> okay. And but the funny the- thing is I actually called my son Luke. I must have, oh. uh, <laughs> I must have uh, been a Star Wars Luke <laughs> admirer when I was in my um, early years because I always love that name. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. Nice. Okay, here's your final question. What word comes to mind most when you first dive in the water? Peace. Hmm. Peace. Beautiful. Very nice. Well, Danielle, this has been fabulous getting to know you a little bit and hearing all about this Australian swimming culture and so much more. Thank you so much for being with us. We really enjoyed it. Thank you, Danielle. It's my pleasure. It's lovely to meet you both. And um, thanks very much for having me on. Stay tuned for the takeaways. Want to succeed like a champion? 
five-time Olympic coach Bob Bowman, coach of Olympic legend Michael Phelps, says Kelly's book, Take Your Mark Lead, is a powerful addition to your personal improvement library, and learners from all walks of life will gain key insights and enjoy this inspiring book. Take Your Mark Lead, debuted as an Amazon number one bestseller in five categories and is available online. And now, the takeaways. Okay, Maria. So our takeaways for Danielle Sperling, all the way with us from Melbourne, Australia. Just such a a great insight into Australia as a country for swimmers. So what was your first takeaway? Well, it was all about their swimming culture. She pointed out that, that, you know, obviously it's an island nation. Most people live on the coast and swimming is a really important part of their culture. There's pools everywhere and they even have it in school as part of their curricula. They're really serious about swimming. So everybody swims and it's easy to learn to swim. It's easy to find a pool. She's, you know, even though it's quite cold where she is, she's swimming in an outdoor, sounds like beautiful heated pool. So I guess if I thought about it, I would have said, yeah, Australia has a big swimming culture, but it was even more impressive than, you know, and they are crazy about sports. So, so swimming is just one of them, but I got the impression that everybody swims all the time <laughs> and it's yes. easy, easy to go there. Yeah. What was so attractive to me was when I asked, Hey, if you're a master swimmer up here and you want to go to Australia to swim, where would you recommend? And she's like, well, everywhere, anywhere, yeah. Yeah. basically, you know, that all the you know, you just go to Australian master swimming website and find a club and you, you're going to find right, a, a right, team that's going right. to welcome you and you're going to be able to swim. So right. that's great. Yeah. My first one was it just a theme that we hear that I hope people will embody and take to heart is when we are good at something as in our youth and we, for whatever reason, we stop doing it, then we return to it. There's so much joy. There's yes. so much that you just, it like feels like home. And that's what Danielle said. She took 25 years off from swimming. And now she's just, she's just like a kid again. She loves it. She's passionate about it. She started, you know, a successful podcast because of it. And so I think, you know, my takeaway is just that when we really love something, don't stop doing it. That is the theme that we hear from all our wise champions that are up in age. It's like, why would we ever stop doing something that we love? Yeah. Or don't be afraid to go back to it. Or don't be afraid to go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. I mean, I, that's that was certainly true for me with cycling. It, it wasn't that I was a competitive cyclist, but when I got on a bike as an adult, it was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, she used words like peace and joy and, you know, really yes. beautiful words. So yeah, I like that. My second takeaway was about recovery such a hard thing for me. I really, I like to train every day and I just can't do it anymore. And the way she put it was basically, it's just like another aspect of your training. If if I can just get this into my head, that recovery days are like training days. <laughs> they make me better, <laughs> but yes. it's just, it's so hard because I'm so addicted to the endorphins that I get from a hard workout, but I'm, I'm going to have a recovery day tomorrow. <laughs> Because I've been training, training pretty hard. Me too. <laughs> and you and my husband, two people so close to me, 
I cannot get you guys to rest enough. And yeah. Mark and I have a big swim meet next weekend and I am just exhausted, but I know I, I need to rest this week, yeah, but I just, yeah. I just can't bring myself to, yeah. I'm going to tomorrow. I'm going to rest tomorrow yeah. is going right. to be a rest day. Let's hold each okay. other to it. Yes. All right. So my second takeaway, even though of course, everybody listened to the whole show, but my last takeaway is to approach things with the step-by-step, whether that's something in a swimming event coming up or whether that's, you know, even talking about overcoming a big obstacle, whether, you know, you're getting a cancer taken off your face or you're going through a divorce or you're trying to build a business, whatever you're doing, just it's a step-by-step process. And Danielle said her way she does this is she looks at the end goal and then backs it up from there. But I, I do know that that's something that we hear a lot from champions, but I think it's so valuable to remind ourselves. Yeah. Cause you can get overwhelmed at the big goals. And I think that's really true. That's what I'm always preaching against the way I live too. I, I try really hard to take tiny, tiny bites of things, but then consistent bites. I don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. And so you talked not. about that too. So yeah, that step-by-step with consistency, you can get anywhere you want to go. Yes. I love it. All right, Maria. Thank you. Another one in the books. Love you. Love you, Kelly. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Champions Mojo podcast. Did you enjoy the show? We'd be grateful if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. And we'd also love to hear from you. We're on all social media platforms, or you can reach us at championsmojo.com.